any of us that have children or grandchildren have experienced this. In fact, I would say even if you do not have any children or if you are a kid yourself, you have experienced this. At least you have seen it happen. So you have two four-year-olds that are playing together. And one has a toy that the other wants. So the one that wants that toy goes over and takes it away. And what does the one that have it had, what do they do usually? Well, they try to get it back usually. They'll either take it back or there's a, um, a, a hit from one and then a hit from the other. And then according to how hard that one hits the other, you hear the most famous phrase in all of history. Mom, he hit me! You've heard it. I know good and well you've heard it. Uh, we, you, we couldn't have nine kids and not have heard it. Um, usually it was Nathan. <laughs> oh, they picked on Nathan. Nathan. Nathan had it rough, boy. They, the older boys picked on him really badly. So it's kind of human nature, right? Our, our fallen nature is such that when we have something, we own something, uh, even sometimes when we desire something, um, we kind of get into that um, self-preservation mode. Um, I deserve it. I need it. I want it. And in this passage, as we have continued in the Sermon on the Mount, and as, um, as I mentioned, verse 20, of course, is, is our, our, our mantra here, uh, for I say to you, unless, it's not on the screen, uh, I say to you, unless your righteousness is surpassed, that of the scribes and Pharisees, uh, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is teaching these personal relationships of how we relate to one another. And we have looked at four of the six that are in this section. And he's teaching against these false teachings that the scribes and the Pharisees have been sharing, teaching, leading their uh, those that are under them uh, in this manner. And so just I think that we kind of do the same thing. Uh, we take the commands of God and our intent is to shape, shape them or kind of mold them in ways that kind of suit the way that we want to live. Uh, for example, we can focus on do not murder, as Jesus said, you have heard it say, said. But we don't focus that much on when Jesus says, don't be angry. We, we believe, I think we believe, that we shouldn't commit adultery. But when we think about divorce, we think anything goes and you can be divorced just for any reason at all, putting your wife or your husband away, instead of Jesus saying that a man shall leave his mother and a father and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one 
and living into what God has prescribed for us when it comes to marriage. We focus on if we make a vow to one another, we, we kind of hold that up. But Jesus says, wait a minute, all of your words that come out of your mouth must and should be truth. And then we get to these two sections today, and it's like, do we, do we really lift up God's standards or do we lower God's standards in some way to suit ourselves? Well, let's see what Jesus has to say. Matthew 5, beginning with verse 38 and reading to the end of the chapter. And yes, the end of the chapter. We started the Sermon on the Mount the first Sunday in September. We took December off for Advent, so um, chapter 5 has taken us five months. But yeah, that's typical for Marty. Um, you yeah, know, we took a year and a half to do Romans. That's, that's not as bad as, as some. I mean, I've known people to take eight years. <laughs> so, verse 8, 20, 38. You have heard it that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him whoever asks you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, you shall, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. I pray, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts and minds this morning for what you would have for us through this, your holy word. I pray this in your name. Amen. So you've heard it. You have, if you've been in the church any at all, you have heard this phrase, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus is really teaching here about what the scribes and Pharisees were doing because they were saying, hey, you know, if, if someone steals from you, you, you know, you got a right to take that back. Or if, uh, Lord forbid, someone was to strike you, cut you, gouge out your eye, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, they would teach. 
but they were perverting the law. The law did not mean that you actually do this. What they were doing was, or what the law was for, was the judicial system, the court system. If you were to go to Leviticus 19, verse 18, uh, you would see that the court system was set up so that they wouldn't penalize more than they should or less than they should. And, and that's what the scriptures were telling us. The scriptures tell us that clearly that God taught vengeance and retribution was his and his alone. And, and so when you look at this, and even Paul in Romans twelve nineteen said that vengeance is the Lord. And so when we look at the text, what they should have been teaching that they weren't was, okay, when you have someone that has done something wrong to you, when you go to the court system, the court system is to handle it fairly. And so someone that murdered would be handled differently than someone that had stolen from you or had said something uh, against your name that you were going to try to clear your name. The judicial system was to handle that and handle it fairly and properly. And that is the law that God had set up. And so this was not for individuals as the scribes and the Pharisees were teaching. And so Jesus, actually what he's doing is setting God's standard back to where it belongs. He's setting God's standard back to where it belongs. And so in verses 39 through 42, we see that Jesus gives us this, this list of, hey, if, if someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. If someone wants your shirt, give them your coat. If, if someone needs something of you, step up to the plate and help them if you can. In other words, as a believer, as someone that follows Christ, we go beyond what the world expects. We go beyond what the standards or what the, the minimum things that we would think of this world that is, is expectations of us. We go beyond that. We're called to be people above and beyond for others, Christ says. And then he uses this, this, he says, you know, you've heard it say you, you, you go one mile, but I'm telling you, you ought to go that extra mile. And they would have known exactly what Jesus was teaching here, uh, what he meant by that, because the Roman soldiers could require someone to carry for them something for a mile. It was called the Roman mile. We see this happen as Jesus is carrying his cross to Calvary. He falls, he can't carry it any longer. And you remember the man Simon where uh, the Roman soldier tells Simon to take the cross as he reaches for his sword. Simon would understand that he had this requirement by the Roman government that this centurion could actually take his life if he refused to carry the cross of Christ. And he carried the cross of Christ for him to Calvary. Going the extra mile. How many times do we do that? 
do we do the bare minimum that we think maybe we need to do or someone insists that we do or do we actually go above and beyond do we have some selfless sacrifice in us for others there's several examples in scripture but I want to lift up one this morning just going to the st- a story in the Old Testament and it's a story that um, many of you are familiar with but it, it shows us this example of going above and beyond uh, what we are actually called to do it's found in Genesis 24 and uh, if you know the story, Abraham is looking for a wife for Isaac. And he sends Eliza uh, and, and sends him to his country to look for a, a wife. And, and so as we, we look at this story, he, he takes ten camels, camels in verse 10, and he sets out with this diary that is going to be there for uh, whatever he needs to pay for uh, the woman that the Lord would, would send to him. And, and Abraham has charged his servant to bring back a wife for him. And so he gets to the city, the, the, the town of uh, Nahor and there's a a well outside of the town and his ten camels kneel down there and he waits and he prays to God and I want you to hear what he says so Eliza says this O Lord the God of my master Abraham please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham Behold, I am standing by the spring, and the daughter of the man of the city, that are the, the men of the city, are going to come out and draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and whoever answers, drink, and I will give water to your camels also. May that, may she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Before Eliza has finished praying, Rebecca is coming out, and Rebecca has a jar, and she is going to get water. It's the cool of the evening, um, late in the day as she comes. And the scripture reminds us and tells us that as she's letting down her jar, he runs over to her and he asks her this question, can, can you give me a drink? And she says, sure. And so she lowers her jar from her shoulder that she's drawn water out of and she gives him a drink. And she says to him, I will not only give you a drink, but I will give water to your camels until they are filled that's important for us to to hear you 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 see that each camel can drink up to 20 to 30 gallons of water and how many camels did he have 10 scripture tells us 
you realize that that's somewhere between two and three hundred gallons of water and and she has this you know urn that she's putting down in the well and drawing up and she's having to take it over and pour it in the trough he didn't ask her he said can you give some water to my camels and, and her reaction was I'm going to give them enough water until they're filled and she did she went above and beyond and of course this is the woman that God had in mind this is uh, the daughter of Bethel and uh, related to um, Abraham's um, brother's family and and so this is absolutely the one that God had in store in, in fact I would say that this particular man's actions were part of changing the world you see when he left Abraham he could have said you know what nobody's going to know I, I've got all of this stuff on the camels to to pay for this this dowry that we have and uh, to give to the the father of whatever woman I find and, and so I can just go over here and say hey I've got a great wealthy good-looking young man how would you like to be his wife um, maybe no one would know but anyway you know he he didn't do that um, he went ahead and made sure that he did exactly as Abraham had called him to do uh, he fulfilled he went it uh, went to his neighboring country um, you know if he had not done that maybe um, the likelihood of Jacob and Esau the 12 tribes of Israel Israel the the line of David um, lineage of Jesus you know all of that came out of Isaac and Rebecca coming together as husband and wife I, I wonder if we would have been someone that would have maybe if we would have been in Rebecca's shoes would have said you know I, I don't have two hours to fill up and, and take time to, to take your camels I'll tell you what here's my jug you go fill it up and fit yeah you, know, you you can water your own camels but just use my jug um, I, I just wonder if we would have gone above and beyond, gone that extra mile. Um, I need to go home and fix supper for my family. Um, it's getting late. Just, just can't do it. Um, how often do we do the bare minimum instead of what might change someone's life? And I would say that this was life-changing. Rebecca's actions were such that she was chosen. She lived into exactly what God had called her to be and to do. She volunteered her time. She volunteered her effort. She went the extra mile. And, and my question to you would be, are we second-mile people? Do we go the extra mile, or is it about self? Are we in that self-preservation mode? Jesus uses these examples to help us to understand that we are called into the great commandment. Yes, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body.
but we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to live into not just the one in front of us. And he goes even further. You know, it's, it's as if he's saying to us, and that's not enough. You Not only do I want you to love those around you, and I want you to go the extra mile, but then he says in verses 43 to 48 that we are to not only love our neighbor, but we're to love our enemies. And obviously the scribes and Pharisees were teaching that you love those around you, but you hate your enemies. And they lived into that because they hated the Gentiles. They, they just saw no use for the Gentiles at, at all. And, and so they were teaching this love-hate relationship. They lowered the bar very low when it came to who you loved. And Jesus says, no, that's not the standard. That's not the way we are supposed to live. He teaches, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And how hard is that? To, to love everyone? To have a love like Christ for everyone? He is not asking us to lower the bar as far as anything when it comes to standards or to doctrine or anything of that nature. He's not telling us to love the way someone else may be living their life that's outside of the gospel, but he is telling us to love them, to have love for them and not hatred. And Jesus, what is interesting in this passage is he tells us why. He, he tells us that we are people as people as followers of him we are to live into this because God does this this is exactly what God does look at verse 45 he says God sends the the rain God sends the sun and does he just do it for those that are believers those that follow him those that are are doing what he calls to do or does he send it to everyone regardless of whether they're righteous or unrighteous and Jesus says, God does it for both. God doesn't distinguish between the righteous and unrighteous for his goodness in nature. And so he says, we're to do good. We're to show love to all people. And then secondly, he says here that we are to live differently than the world. We're to we're called to be different than the world in which we live in. We are to have the character of Christ. We are to uh, have a reflection of Christ. So when the world says, hate your enemies, you have a, a right to hate those who do wrong against you, who persecute you, Jesus says, no, you don't. Don't live like that. I don't want you to show hatred in that way. He is not saying that we can't defend ourselves when needed. This is not a pacifism um, passage. But what he is saying is just you don't have hate for those 
that hate you. Show the love of Christ to those that are around you, even if they don't think just like you or, or maybe have uh, the, the same political leaning that you have or, or whatever we have in the world today. We just hate um, politicians and governments on, or the government on each side of the aisle has certain hatreds for other sides. And, and it's just where we can't get along and live together even in our differences. And Christ is saying, show love to those around you. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones tells the story of Hudson Taylor, and, and many of you know that Hudson Taylor was a missionary in China. And he tells the story that Hudson Taylor was going outside the city, and he, was, uh, he hailed a, a boat that was coming down the stream so that he could get in and go further into the city. And um, this Chinese man was coming up. He was quite wealthy uh, and saw that Hudson Taylor had hailed the, the, the boat, and the boat was coming near the dock where uh, he would get on. And so as he walked up, Hudson Taylor had Chinese garb on, wearing uh, the, the, the Chinese um, you know, clothing. And so the man did not recognize him as a foreigner. And so as he walked up, he pushed and shoved him over, and he fell into a mud hole, just soaked in mud and, and water. And as the, the boat came up and stopped at the dock, and as the Chinese, the wealthy man, began to get in the boat, the boat tender said, no, you can't get in the boat. This man held the boat, and you don't get to ride. He does. And Taylor was getting up and brushing himself off, and um, so he stepped into the boat, but before the boat left, he looked at the wealthy Chinese man, and he says, come and ride with me. He was taken back because he had not realized that this was a foreigner. He knew that he could get in trouble for the way he had treated this foreigner in his country. And so he had expected that he would be chastised, he would be ostracized in his behavior. Instead, Hudson Taylor invited him into the boat. What is interesting is this. Hudson Taylor says, as he sat, he thought that, I would resent him for such treatment. But I could not do that because of the grace of God that lived in me. He said, a conversation followed, and I believe a deep impression of who Jesus Christ was infiltrated this man's very soul. What, what would we have done if we would have been Hudson Taylor and been treated the way he has been treated? Would, would we have not thrown any um, nice words back or terrible words back? or what? I mean, how would we have handled that situation? Would we have invited the man into the boat with us and shared Jesus? I don't know. Is loving our enemies a reality of our walk with Christ? Jesus ends this passage 
with uh, with this sentence and it's a sentence that I have read throughout this week and I keep sitting and thinking about it therefore you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect in other words Jesus is saying do not think as the world thinks do not do as the world does think on the things of God think about God's standard instead of your standard or the worldly standard or saying well everybody else does it we all grew up with parents that said I don't care if everybody else is doing it I don't want you to do it and God is saying to us I don't care what the world tells you or what Satan is telling you to do or is all right I have a standard as as I am perfect I want you to live into that life of being perfect the bar is high it's not low God sets that bar very high for us And when we see God's law and when we see God's love and we see God's grace and we see God's mercy poured out on us, shouldn't we live into being poor in spirit, mourning over sins, humbling ourselves before him, being transformed into his likeness so that we can enjoy the blessed life that he has promised us? When we look at this verse it's almost as if it's I can't I can't do that I, I can't live perfectly and we're probably and you're probably right except for Jesus you see, we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit that God has given us is to help us to live into this perfection, to live into what God has called us to do. Do we do it all the time? Do I do it all the time? No. But it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. There are things that, of, of the heart, there are things that, and, and this section that I've done for these last four weeks has been a matter of the heart. And, and you see that I believe that when we look at our heart and examine how far we are from God's standard or how much more we need to be transformed into the likeness of God as we walk with him, that helps us to understand that even in that gap, the goodness and the grace of God through Jesus Christ covers that gap. When we fail him, we are not cast away. We are convicted, repent and confess and come back into that whole relationship. This relationship that we have with Christ is whole and God calls it for protection, or perfection because we are to live into what he has called us to be transformed into his image living in such a way that others see Christ in us and so I believe that when we wake up each day and pray that 
God, some way use me to be your hands and feet in a lost world today. We are living into that standard that God has called us to. And, and if there is a gap there, the, the grace of God is there for us. I want us to see how much we need God's grace. Often when we get into this, this mindset, we do one of two things. Either we have one extreme where we think, well, I don't need to change anything. I'm good. I'm living a good life. I'm doing, I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying every now and then. I'm good to people. I don't really treat people terribly or, or say harsh things. And, and so it's almost as if I don't need to examine my walk with Christ. Am I living in to what God has called us to? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so we, we set into the, I'm okay. There's nothing that I need to examine. Or we go on the other extreme, and what we do is this. We get into the woe is me. I just can't, I can't do this, Lord. Um, I understand that I need to, but I fail you so often. Um, I have all of these thoughts running through my mind, and it's almost as if eternal hope begins to collapse in and, and fail us because of the mindset that we get in. The, the gap is too big. God would never, ever forgive me for this or that. And we read verse 48, and we should be falling on our knees and praying. We should be falling on our knees and thanking God for Jesus who helps us through the power of the Holy Spirit to actually live as we can live for him. We should be praying and giving thanks for the forgiveness that he has given us through his life, death, and resurrection, for the transformation that comes through him. And so this, this standard that Christ has given us, the standard that we live into, is one that God calls us to because of his love for us and his desire for his love to be communicated, to be shared with others. I was sitting this morning very early and I wrote a couple of passages down on the, the bottom of my page. It was um, just the Lord was warning me, and I know it's, we'll have communion in a minute. But I want you to hear these passages. Because both of these passages deal with exactly what Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's not that you haven't heard them before. But I want, to hear, I want you to hear them in light of this particular admonition of loving our neighbor, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, being perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. 
John writes in his first letter in the second chapter. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. An old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light, capital L, is already shining. One who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother and abides in the light, there is no cause for him for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And then, chapter 4, verse 19, tells us this. We love because, anybody know the rest of that? Because he first loved us. Then, this passage from Romans, 19, Romans 12, verse 9. Let love, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Listen to what Paul says. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, continuing in the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, go so far as it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. Jesus really does want us to love one another. He really does want us to, to reflect his love for us to others. And I just wonder how the church is doing. Not just our church, but the church of Jesus Christ. Are we sharing the love of Christ with our enemies? Are we giving drink to the thirsty? Are we sharing Christ with others as God, uh, as the Holy Spirit uh, pricks our hearts to do that? Are we? 
go to the last slide. Make his life our standard. If we were to, were to make the life of Jesus Christ our standard, what would the church, maybe what would the world around us look like? Could we be part of those agents of change? I will tell you that you may never, ever see your impact on someone, but it doesn't mean that you have not impacted their life. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love because God first loved you. Father, I'm convicted of this passage um, because I know that I don't always live into it, at least in my thoughts. It's not that I'm hateful to others, but there are certainly times, Father, that, that I think less than I should of others. And so, Father, I pray that you would give me a heart for the lost, a heart to go the extra mile, a heart, Father, to to love others and offer the grace of Jesus. I pray, Father, that you would help us as a church to confess and repent of turning inward on ourself. So many churches, Father, are about just doing everything within the four walls or, or just sustaining what they have or uh, how can we just meet one, another need, one another's needs and, and you still said go and share and so Father I pray that we would be winsome that you would use our gifts of the building of the kingdom and the church so that the church can go out and reflect you in the world make a change in some way in someone's life that they would ask, why are you different than those others in the world? I pray, Father, for our church, for the transformation of being more Christ-like, growing deeper in our faith, having a better understanding of, of what you have called us to, to, to carry a message of Christ in the world around us. May it be so, Father. I thank you for your word. Thank you so much for your word. And Father, may we live into what you have called us to be and do as followers of your son, our Savior Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.